Adrian King Edwards is the proprietor of The Word Bookstore in Montreal, Antiquarian and Used. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you. I much prefer secondhand to use. Do you? Yes. Okay. Secondhand is more English than Secondhand has a better ring to it. Used implies that the the books aren't in perfect condition, which most of them are, and it also implies, you know, used cars, and it's not a word that I enjoy very much. Secondhand has much, much nicer ring to it. Well, speaking of used cars then, and used car dealers, I was going to wait a little bit for this, but let's get straight into it. You've heard of the scandal in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. with Michael Shulman, right. in which he and a librarian kind of connived together to get a lot of valuable books and prints out of the library. For many years. For many years, yeah. yeah. So the, the, I guess the question or the concern is, one of the things that you see on bookseller, Antiquarian Bookseller Association websites and in the literature is that there's a screening process and that when you buy from a member of an association, you're basically guaranteed to deal with someone who's on the up and up. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. Uh, well, you're talking at you know fairly different level than what we deal in. You know, most of the, most of our dealings are secondhand out of the store, and. Um, so, but you've been a member of the yeah I'm a member of the association and, and uh, when I buy you know valuable books I'm I, I'm usually buy them you know in somebody's home and I have a clear idea of the situation so very seldom do I have anybody coming in with a valuable book under their arm I mean that does happen occasionally and then we you know we we grill the person mm-hmm. uh, but that's that's unusual usually it's out of the home. And they're friends or friends of friends, or I have a connection. I know the story. Yeah, so because you want to hear the story when the, when the, when there's valuable books concerned. You know, where did they come from? And, you know. But what I'm talking about is being able to trust dealers. Well, I think generally, I mean, all the antiquarian book dealers I know are are are, are you know pride themselves on their honesty, and uh, I think you know this this uh, incident is definitely the exception. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, I don't think it's a major problem. Uh, yeah, you've, I've never heard of anything like this before. It's, but it's quite quite dramatic, isn't it? Yeah, it is huge. And um, I have a friend who's dealt with him, and uh, said that you know he seemed like a nice guy on the surface. But I mean, this has been going on I think since the early '90s, hasn't it? I mean, it's just colossal. Yeah. Yeah, long, long term, yeah. and uh, it's funny he wasn't wasn't caught up before. But I think it's the the looseness in the library administration and the lack of audits. Uh, yeah. I think that's where the f- this is this is why it happened. Yeah, yeah, and in fact, that's how they found out. They they because did they actually a, did an audit. They did audit. an audit, and they found that a that a whole bunch of stuff was missing. But again. Uh, some people who don't who are not in the in the in the book collecting or buying antiquarian book buying business have chided me 
when I've bought a signed copy of a book and they've said, well, how do you know that's the signature of the author? Of the author? I said, well, it looks like other signatures by the same author online. I've seen the, I've seen the signature, so that's one thing. And I trust the dealer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the dealer is, if something's signed, you're going to want to know when was it signed and what were the circumstances. And, you know, valuable books usually come with stories, and that's probably one of the most fascinating things about them, um, that there's a history to them. Mm -hmm. Provenance. And so as a bookseller, one of your jobs is to know that story, I guess. Sure. Yeah. And it's also very interesting. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when I go out to buy books at people's homes, there's always a story, and I find it very fascinating. Uh, if it's an estate sale, uh, I get to learn about, not only looking at the books, but I get to learn from the relatives about the person. And it's a major, whatever's going on, is a major event for these people. And uh, they really do enjoy telling the story of what, you know, Uncle so-and-so and, and what he was like. And mm -hmm. I always find it fascinating. Yeah, and in fact, you know, quite often I could, you know, be there for an hour and a half, but instead I'm there for three hours because I'm listening to stories. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, that theme continues uh, in the store. I find that uh, regular customers coming into the store, those that come by every week, they want a narrative and a story. And uh, I happily come up with a story every week, and I tell the same story for about a week of something that's happened to me or something that's happened to a friend. And Related to, to books? Uh, books or, or, you know, yes, or, you know, whatever. I mean, often it's my adventures buying books. They're always very fascinated about that. Yeah. And uh, the people who work with me have to listen to the same story over and over again. <laughs> but uh, it, 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 it's fresh. In the end of the week, I'll, I'll come up with a new one. And uh, uh, it's, part, it's part of what goes on. I mean, you know, running a small business, there is... There's a narrative to it, and uh, knowing regular customers for 30 or 40 years, I know their lives, you know, I know what they've gone through, and they've told me as we went along, and uh, CJEP teacher just in the store this morning teaches English at Dawson, and uh, he's a young guy, and he's just recovering from a, a bout with cancer. It's uh, pretty serious stuff, and he was off teach from teaching for two years. And today he came in to tell me he was going back to work, and it's just wonderful to hear that. Mm -hmm. You know, that was that was the narrative that I got out of the store today. Uh, there's always something that is really interesting. And we had uh, two weeks ago, we had a, a couple, two couples from Atlanta come into the store, and obviously had been very upset with what uh, Trump's uh, attitude towards Canada, and they had T-shirts on that. Uh, uh, it said, um, America and Canada united, and they had the flags crossed like this. And uh, they were very keen on wanting everybody to know that, you know, they they did not agree with Trump and that they were concerned. Yeah, he doesn't represent their opinion. Exactly. Uh, do you think this is more so in the book-selling business than in other businesses, in other retail businesses? I think it's very similar to being a bartender. Mm -hmm. uh, this is what bartenders do, they listen to people's stories. And that's also part of, I'm talking about me telling stories, but it's also part of listening to everybody's stories as yeah. they come in. During the summer you get lots of interesting people. A woman in from uh, New Orleans who works in a second-hand bookstore and was very excited to be in Montreal. First thing she wanted to do was to go to second-hand bookstores. And so she came in and told me all about hers and 
we had our picture taken together, and uh, it was very pleasant. And every Saturday, because that's when people are sort of visiting on the weekends, we have people coming in who used to be students at McGill. Because you're right near McGill. 20, right? 25 years ago. And yeah. we're just thrilled that we're still there, you know? They yeah. say, I used to come in here when I was a student, and they could tell you the, the title of a couple of books that they bought that they still have. And well, you've been in business now for 40-some years, 43. right? 43, yeah. 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 Telling stories for 43 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and listening to stories. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have a favorite story from someone that you've bought books off in their home? or I'm not going to uh, mention it because it's pretty harrowing, but you know, the other part of those stories is you hear about the really bad things that happen to people. Because they and they died and they need to get rid of the books? Or? No, I'm talking about customers coming in and, and, and telling stories themselves and you'd have to listen to people's stories and you know, the awful uh, you know, burden of things that happen. You, when you're in a situation, you get a wide range of sense of humanity. I mean, I know hundreds of people. When I walk on the streets in New York or London for an afternoon, I'll almost always run into somebody I know. You know, it's that so many, I know so many people. But stories from specific incidences. Uh, a month ago, we bought a large collection of books um, in Lennoxville from... Um, the nieces and nephews of this uh, elderly gentleman of 91 who had gone into a home and uh, the home had to be sold and cleared out. Basically, they, they did the whole thing in a weekend and we were there to go through the 5,000 books and we spent two days doing it. The nieces and nephews uh, said that we should go and visit the gentleman after we went through the books and of course we wanted to. We wanted to see him and tell him how much we loved the books and how much we appreciated getting them. And we had a wonderful time with him, so much so that um, the next evening, when we, were, we went the first evening, the next evening, when we were actually totally finished, we went to see him again. And we had a really nice meeting with him. There was a bond because we had acquired a lot of his books, which he'd had for years and years and years. He um, had a twinkle in his eye when he said, uh, well, I haven't let you have my best book. And I said, would, he would you like to see it, he said. And I, we said, uh, of course. And so he pulled out his signed E.M. Forster. And uh, so we enjoyed, enjoyed looking at that. But, you know, you sense when you see uh, wonderful books arranged on shelves and the person is no longer there, there's a still a bond with the, with the person who owned the books. And, and, and there's a sense of... Uh, wanting to know, um, you know what, what they were like. And you can see there are various phases in their lives where they were particularly interested in an author and there's a large collection of Huxley or uh, people who are real collectors will, when they find an author they like, will collect everything uh, that they can find. And that's a, that's a delight for a book dealer to find an extensive collection of one author. Why is that? Because you carry it on uh, to the store and your customers are just thrilled because you you know you've got all the you don't have the standards four or five standards of the authors but you've got all the obscure ones you know you've got a copy of his dissertation uh, that was maybe his first published book or uh, essays or the uh, difficult to find children's book uh, uh, that he wrote because most authors will have obscure children's books that they've written often it's a service to your clientele that you're, you're happy about. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
you'll, you'll often be in the store and you'll hear uh, really what is a shriek of delight when somebody grabs something off the shelf and say, I didn't know this existed or I've been looking for this for 20 years or, mm-hmm. or something like that. That's really, you know, really makes it all worthwhile. Because, I mean, physically, it's a lot of work to uh, go out and spend six or seven hours going through somebody's books. You've got your shopping bags, and then they're up, the books are up on the third floor of the house, and you carry the books down. Or I had one experience where I bought a large library. It was on the ninth floor in an apartment building. The <laughs> elevator wasn't working. Um, or no wonder you're so slim. Another experience where uh, a really important collection of books and I got over there around noon, and my two sons were uh, scheduled for a hockey game at five. And I was trying to get through the books, and you know, 3.30 came and went, and I finally finished, and I was up on the third floor with outside staircases covered in ice, and I had to get all the books into the car, and then get home and get the kids and go to the hockey game, and I'm much happier if I do it slowly. So, quite a percentage of your customers are regulars, is, is that right? Yeah, I mean, we have you know, people in the store all the time that are, are, are visitors or tourists or, or are coming to the store once or twice and have heard about it, but we have a huge number of regulars that mm-hmm. have patterns. George will come in at 3.30 every Wednesday afternoon. There's something else in his life going on where that brings him by the store at 3.30. You know, a professor in the English department at Concordia uh, gets physio for his back around the corner from the store on Saturday afternoon, and then he comes into the store. And there's a, there's patterns where people come in uh, like that. Well, as a book buyer, I know that I want to check the store regularly because if it's a good store, there's turnover in the stock, and you never know what's there. That's right. Yeah. We were talking about crime to start with. I read about this police raid. Now, is that because you had so many people coming to your house when you first started off? Yeah, well, we started... And they thought there was drugs or yeah, something? Yeah, we started <laughs> off in our apartment next door to the store. And um, we were really anxious to connect with the poetry communi- community, English poetry community in Montreal. And we did quite successfully. We had readings... Uh, for a while, we were having readings every week. So a lot of people were coming and going, plus our regular customers from the English department at McGill, which we were concentrating on. Somebody must have noticed this traffic, and because the door wasn't locked, people were just walking in. So one afternoon, two policemen showed up and um, <laughs> went in back in the kitchen and went through all the spices. And uh, <laughs> after they found nothing and rummaged through the cupboards and stuff, and they... Uh, seemed disappointed and uh, one of them, our cat had just given birth and the cat was in the back of the closet with her, with her kittens and one of them, after he'd given up on finding anything, uh, was lying on the floor playing with the kittens. So it was a human side to the policeman. But, <laughs> yeah. And I, I also read in that same article that uh, the place that you have uh, the, the store that you have now and, and it's been there what for about for, for 40 years you've had the store yeah it was a Chinese laundry for 70 years yep 70 years and then before that it was a stable so and there's a hook on the wall uh, beside my desk where you could tie up animals in the fall I bought uh, an atlas of Montreal um, quite a large atlas 
from 1879, and it was fields around here, and the stables was there, and it was marked with a little X, which I looked down at the code, and the X was a stables. So uh, that was that was fun to see that. And there's no sign on the store. No, or we seem to manage without a sign. Uh, we were asked to take it down a long, long time ago by the, one of the language police you know, and said that because it wasn't bilingual and then we thought we'd put up a bilingual sign and then we just never got around to it. And there's certain cachet, I guess, to not having a sign. It works. And you don't put your books on the internet? No, no, we don't put our, although we do, uh, my son Brendan is really good at social media in terms of uh, Facebook and Instagram. He's been having quite success with Instagram. And once a month he does a newsletter uh, which people can sign up for and see basically the best books that have come in during the month. You don't have those on the shelves then? No, there's the, he, he very, uh, when I bring in a collection of books he usually chooses the one or two really good ones and takes them aside and then releases them at the beginning of the month with the newsletter. And those are bought then? Yeah, usually they go pretty pretty fast at that point because Again, we have regulars on the newsletter who are who are pretty quick because if you're not too, if you're not quick, you're gonna, you're going to miss on it. But he he does a really attractive job of uh, the various titles and <laughs> and uh, a, you know mixture of subject areas. I read somewhere that uh, you used to be able to accommodate the entire English language poetry community. Yeah, quite those, easily, and now it's in the store uh, when we had poetry readings. Uh, everybody would be there, you know. Everybody that was part of the, saw themselves as part of the English language uh, poetry community, uh, and we knew everybody, and there was a real sense of um, sense of community. Mm. Well, that was the time when the vehicle poets were really active, so there was a very strong strong sense of community then, and now it's just grown beyond beyond belief. Uh, you know, there's hundreds of poets, and now I used to. You know, know all of them by name, and there's, there's I, 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 if I know five percent now, it's, it's lucky. It's just quite extraordinary. Wow. Yeah, Montreal is a magnet for poets. Do you find that the same kind of growth is experienced in book collectors, or not? No, no, no. But there are not many book collectors. <clears throat> it's like the, I guess, the tip of the iceberg. The um, or maybe the other way around. Um, you know, most people are readers, and um, a few of them are book collectors. Some of them sort of slide into being book collectors because all of a sudden they they have a favorite book and they start collecting copies of that favorite book, and then then you know gradually they're becoming collectors, and that, that's a different uh, different field. It's a whole Some, new world, isn't it? It's a it's a different world. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's not necessarily. Um, uh, about reading, although it's usually uh, a, a, you know an author or a subject that they're keen on, so they don't necessarily read that book, but they may be building a collection of books in a certain area. Yeah. Um, I mean, collectors over the years, over the centuries, have been uh, you know a, a service because often the valuable collections end up in libraries and, and, are, and are of use to uh, other people. I have a friend in Connecticut who is a professor, philosophy professor. He collects in two areas. He collects Bertrand Russell and Charles Darwin. So in his living room, you sit in his living room, and on one side, the right-hand side of the fireplace, 
Everything's by Bertrand Russell, hundreds of books by and about, all different editions. Totally fascinating. And the same thing on the left side with Charles Darwin. <laughs> uh, he's very focused. And uh, she got pictures of him up there as well or not? Uh, I don't know about having pictures up, but... Uh, so there aren't so many uh, collectors as there used to be, say, 10, 15, 20 years ago? No, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that. I, w I would say that uh, collectors, in the real sense, are always a small number of people, yeah. and, and they are still there. The ones who are looking for, you know, beyond the ordinary books, which they'll find secondhand, will turn up at the antiquarian book fairs, and if they've come once or twice before, book dealers will have things, you know, for them, because uh, they, they recognize them as collectors, and, and, and will have put things aside for them to see if they, see if they're interested. Yeah. A friend of mine, David McKnight, who's head of rare books at the University of Pennsylvania, he had, and I helped him build it, the largest collection of Canadian literary periodicals, private collection anywhere. And he just gave it to the um, University of Alberta. They just honored him and produced a catalog and had a, had a launch for the collection and so on. You know, if you're, if you're persistent, you can, you can really benefit because some of those literary periodicals, you know, were mimeographed and, you know, one of 20 or 30 copies. So, uh, you know, whether there's another copy or not is, is doubtful. Yeah. That uh, University of Alberta library, they do a really nice job of it. They did a, they did a catalog for the uh, John Myers uh, Governor General's oh, yes, collection. Right. Okay. It was a beautiful catalog. But I was going to ask you about uh, libraries. Are they are they buying more books than they used to? About the same, or what? Well, the peak was uh, you know the, the centennial years, uh, just after '67 and leading up to '67, when the libraries all decided that they really needed to have Canadiana, yeah. and uh, there were several Canadiana dealers. Uh, that I know of it, 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 during that period who did immensely well because if they didn't have it they would buy it yeah. and that was that was the peak of the, of, of the buying by libraries I mean the Fisher is very active buying now and yeah and yeah. Uh, Chris Lyons at McGill and the Rare Books is, is very active Chris Lyons is an uh, excellent uh, rare book librarian because he like David McKnight who was there before him is very very keen on being part of the uh, book dealer community, knowing all the book dealers, making sure they know what he's looking for. So there's a very close connection, and uh, when you have a librarian that does that, uh, there's a huge benefit uh, to the library and to the book dealers. Yeah, uh, he bought at the Montreal Fair last year, which is at the end of September, uh, Drapeau papers. Uh, that came from the Drapeau family through uh, Bonheur de Cassillon and uh, got an immensely fantastic collection. That's the kind of interchange that can happen when you at, at book fairs. That's where you we, do a lot of your your business, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were, you know, the more valuable books. Um, we were just uh, making up the poster for the book fair yesterday, uh, so we're, you know, we're it's it's just a month away, so we're we're full tilt uh, preparing for it now. And a lot of the books that are piled up in boxes in our hallway will be going to the book fair. We're in Montreal. Uh, do you cater to the French market at all or not? We have lots of uh, francophone customers. We have a small section of French literature, but um, 
of, of course, uh, you know, francophones read in English, and uh, we have a, lo a large number of uh, francophone customers. And what about rare uh, antiquarian French books? Do you do any of that? No, I stay away from that. It, it, it's such a it's such a large field just to handle the English, that, and and it takes years of practice. Um, that to expand into the French market where I don't have any roots would be a big mistake. Uh, if I find something like that that's valuable, I'll often uh, trade or pass it to another dealer because that's the other thing that happens at the antiquarian book fairs is I'll have something that I don't really have a market for and somebody else will have something that I'd really like to have and uh, we'll, we'll do trades, you know. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I've heard that, that, uh, that a lot of these book fairs, uh, all the real action takes place before you even open the doors. Uh, three years ago, the um, Cabin Fever antique show in Kingston was happening in February, and they wanted to have an add-on of book dealers, and so we agreed to go. And we were in a separate room, so we weren't getting a lot of traffic. But a friend of mine, Robert Wright, who's now president of the uh, Antiquarian Book Dealer Association of Canada was there and his tastes are very similar to mine so we spent basically the whole afternoon trading books back and forth. <laughs> we were doing That's why you're in the business. We were doing hundreds of dollars worth of business and uh, you know it was, it was uh, we had a good time. You've been in business more than 40 years uh, and we touched on the fact that you've got a, a sort of regular clientele but we, how come you've been so successful? In other words, you've stayed in business this long. There's lots of reasons. Uh, first, uh, you know, we have a fantastic location. There's hundreds of students who walk by there every day. Yeah, you're about a block or two yeah. away from McGill, right? Yeah. I have a real passion for books. I, I really enjoy uh, people. And, you know, if you like books and people, there are book dealers who really like books and don't necessarily, you know, see customers as an interruption. But if you like both, um, I think that's probably a recipe for success uh, and you know we we work 50 hours a week all the time so this is not work though is it no it's a pleasure but I mean you know we are we are we are putting in our time and that's and, and the reward is there because you know we are putting in our time um, and it's incredibly gratifying that uh, my son Brendan is it has an interest and is uh, increasingly taking on more and more yeah, you mentioned to me uh, recently the, the handoff between uh, the McGarrens, Liam McGarrens now running uh, the bookstore in Ottawa, mm -hmm. was a model. Oh yeah, uh, when I saw that happening and, and uh, spoke to both of them about it and, and it seemed to be going so smoothly, I was, uh, I was very impressed. Because I mean there's a lot of situations and I've seen this, I've seen this many times where the father is pressuring the son to mm -hmm. go into the family business. In fact, I have a friend who wanted to be a scholar and uh, be a classics professor, and uh, he's, his father pushed him into the family restaurant business, and uh, he's regretted his whole life, and it's really a sad situation. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but Brendan, Brendan wasn't pushed. Brendan was, went off to journalism school, you know, came back and started doing hours in the store and uh, really quite enjoys it. And he, and he connects with, uh, you know, he has this group of followers and fans. He connects with those people and he knows what they're looking for. It's, it's really quite wonderful. And then uh, we have Donna working in the store. That's your wife, right? Yeah. 
she's very friendly and outgoing. So that I've, I've had cases where I'm sitting in there Wednesday mornings and uh, somebody's come in and looked quite disappointed to see me there and asked me where that friendly woman was that's usually here. So what do you collect? Well, there's, it's a, there's a border line between, uh, a thin line between collecting and buying books to possibly resell that are likely not going to resell because you're fascinated by them. I have um, a whole office in my basement full of uh, Canadian poetry books, hundreds and hundreds of Canadian poetry books, and I've been collecting assiduously for 43 years to the point when I will, uh, for instance, with Alvin Nolan, I've been collecting every single literary periodical that I can find his, a submission of his in. I have one customer for Alvin Nolan, and uh, I think, he, generally speaking, he already has what I've got. But I, I find it, uh, you know, satisfying. But whether, and the books are priced, whether this is my collection or whether it is actually for sale or people are interested, I'm not sure. But I'm, a, I'm attracted to the literary obscure and ephemeral. What does that mean? Well, for instance, if I can find a prospectus that advertises an Alden Nolan book coming out, something like that, I, I'm very excited. The more ephemeral... Uh, so in magazines or uh, yeah, it'll go to it'll go as far as into magazines as well. Yeah, hmm. and I have a huge collection, of course. I mean, I, I I try to think that if anybody's going to support the Montreal literary community, it's going to be me. And uh, so I have a huge collection of local poets. I have very large collection, of course, of Hugh McLennan and uh, Mordecai Richler. So those are the those are the areas that I watch for. I know the, the standard advice to someone who's thinking of getting into collecting is collect what you love or what you're interested in. But let's assume you've already given that. And the question is, what would be good to collect? And what I mean is, maybe they're undervalued. What would you recommend? Well, I mean, I would further the advice to, you know, collect their passion is really good advice, but also to be scrupulous about condition. Mm -hmm. uh, a book in fine condition is, is always on you. You know, unusual if not rare, uh, to get a pristine dust jacket uh, on an early book. It's it it is possible, but it's very very difficult. And in terms of value, I, I think if you're collecting and following your passion, you shouldn't be so concerned about value because yeah. values come and go. Even in the period that we've been in business, I've seen you know the values of uh, Margaret Lawrence's uh, first editions are you know not sought after the way they used to be. If you go back a few years, a major author like uh, signed John Galsworthy used to command a huge fortune. And now if I see, you know, John Galsworthy signed in a library, and, uh, I just leave it there. I'm not going to touch it. But like everything else, these collectibles and values uh, follow fashion. If you're, if you're worried about, you know, monetary value, I, I think you should probably be looking at something else. Yeah. The books are, are, aren't... I mean, there will be some books, if you're a collector, that mature nicely. Um, Virginia Woolf is an example. But I think in most cases, you, you should just follow what, you, what, you're, what you're passionate about. Okay. I mean, you know the market. Let, let's say someone wants nice letterpress books or fine printing. Is there something out there that you think is 
not that expensive, but would be really fun to collect. Letterpress works. That's a matter of aesthetic, and if if you're attracted to their work, a letterpress work is is often one of two hundred copies or one of fifty copies, and if you find it uh, attractive and and handsome and aesthetically pleasing. Uh, I think you should go for it. I mean, letterpress stuff is is often magnificent, mm-hmm. uh, and there is definitely the possibility that that will appreciate because it's such limited. The editions are so limited. When you check, you know, standard checking on the internet, you'll find that there is only one copy on the internet. And when you find only one copy, or in fact, maybe even no copies, you're into something fairly important. Versus your, you know, your standard first edition, which you go on the internet and there's 200 copies. You know, used to be when I started out, my older friends, uh, book dealers, Giacomo Falcone and Grant Wilmer, my definition of rare would be, you know, I've been in business for three or four years, I've never seen it, and then, you know, Grant had never seen it, and Giacomo had never seen it. Well, that was the definition of rare. There was no chance to check on the internet. Um, and once the internet came in, a lot of books that we, we considered at least unusual were no longer unusual because there's many, many copies out there. And you could, you know, you get a limited edition sometimes of uh, 40 copies and there's 20, 15 or 20 copies on the internet. And it's, it's totally extraordinary. So it gives you a whole, whole new definition. And I, I'm really excited now is when there's one copy or two copies or, or in fact no copies on the internet. Yeah. Those are the books that are good. And, I mean, that's the problem with the internet now, that it's very difficult to sell books on the internet. And when, it, when the internet started, uh, I thought we were making a huge mistake not joining, joining it, but we were really enjoying being in the store. We didn't want to put the time in the inter- into the internet. And um, now my friends who have 6,000 books on the internet and telling me that they're selling maybe one book a week, or they've given up completely and taken them off because it's just not worthwhile. There's a race to the bottom there. And uh, you, you can't you can't compete. There's nothing that you can think of that might be fun to collect that is in that that area. If you're if you're a reader and you're involved with um, local authors or an author that you've discovered recently who's young, now would be the time to start collecting their work. You know, there's a poet in San Francisco who is now who used to live in Montreal, August Kleinzoller. August. Kleinzoller, who has um, done very well and, and has received all kinds of prizes and accolades. And uh, when he was living in Montreal, when his first book came out with Villeneuve, it's a letterpress press. Is that the one, sorry, is that the one that uh, Robin Sarah? Yeah, yeah. yeah, Fred Lauder. Beautiful stuff. Huh. And one of the great sorrows of my life was when uh, Fred moved away because they broke up and he went off and... Um, Where did he go to? He, well, he's now living in Sweden, but he went off to Prince Edward Island initially. Did but he stay in printing or not? No. No, okay. No, and I really saw uh, as a, a, as a t- partnership and that he would be producing beautiful books and that I'd be selling them. And uh, it came to a, an end quite quickly. But August's first book came out with them. How many books did they produce? Well, Fred took on jobs and would do poetry books for people specifically. But they themselves, uh, they did Brian Bartlett, Bruce Taylor, Jack Hannon, Bruce Taylor. Uh, so we're talking maybe five or six altogether, something like that. That's it. But, yeah, but I mean, also did 
little you know Christmas cards and invitations the way fine presses will do. So it was very sad when when he left. Huh. That was quite some time ago. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It was in the it was in the seventies, uh, uh, late seventies, I guess, seventy eight, seventy nine. There's also a really a really good paper uh, manufacturer in Montreal. Armand. Armand. Yeah. 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 And and Glenn Galusha uh, was was also, uh, you know, used their paper and was close with them. Great typesetter and yep. is a book designer. Yep. Yeah. Died. Tragically young. Yep, very sad. He was in Montreal? Yep, yep. He lived down in uh, Griffintown. Yeah, I know he did some designs for the uh, Center of, uh, for Architecture, he mm -hmm. did some of their books. Yep. And he had his own press too, didn't he? He did, yep, which um, Gaspro Press got in Kentville, uh, Nova Scotia. They, they, they got the actual press, they right? They got the press, yeah. It's, uh, when you visit them in Kentville, you can see it. Just uh, winding down here, your store is, very, it's not that big, but it's very neat and well organized. Well, a lot of that, I mean... These, just an observation. Okay, these days, uh, uh, Brendan does a lot. Brendan takes a real pride in keeping things organized. But it's also, um, you know, there's books coming in every single day, hundreds of books a week. and. Often uh, people will actually give us books, and um, you have to consistently get rid, get you know, sort the books and get rid of the stuff you don't want. And the difference between an organized store and a disorganized store is the people that don't get rid of, you know, on the chance it might sell, uh, not get get rid of the um, books that are not, are not really worthy to be there. So we sell hundreds of books for a dollar. And if the book doesn't sell for a dollar, it goes out for 50 cents. And then after that, it's on its way, and uh, uh, we, we have to just keep on top of it all the time, sorting stuff out as it comes in. Because, I mean, people will turn up. There's a guy coming in tomorrow from Shawinigan who's actually giving us 15 boxes of books. And we're going to go through those in a couple hours and take out the stuff we need, and the rest of the stuff, we, we're not... Uh, what are you going to do with that? Well, there's two or three things. We either put it out for a dollar, um, or we can um, we give books to McGill Book Fair, for instance. Um, so there's 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 ways of of moving them through, mm -hmm. but it has to be done quickly. Otherwise, you know you're 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 right up to your knees. Um, and there are lots of stores. I'm sure you've seen them that you can hardly get in the door of the store because the books are piled up on the floor. Another secret to your success, then. What's your uh, when someone comes into the store? With a, with a pile of books, what's your buying criteria? When they're halfway across the floor, the first thing I tell them before they get to the desk is, I'm annoyingly selective. And if they respond positively and say that's okay, and then I tell them I'm looking mainly for philosophy. So by the time they get to the desk, if I choose even one or two books out of their pile, they're absolutely grateful. Uh, no, I, 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 I mean, and this is particularly true in house calls, because people imagine you're going to turn up at the house and buy everything, and solve their problem. And mm -hmm. I say, you know, if you've got a good library, I may buy five or ten percent. Um, that's you know the way the market is, and so uh, I, I make sure that people know that. And I still have people. This still happens. People will email me and say, 
I've got these books and they'll list them all, two or three hundred books, and they say, I want to sell them as a lot. Yeah. And this is, I mean, I would never do that, but if I were going to do that, it would cost them, you know, a lot of money to pay me to take them away. Because, I mean, that's, if they want to sell them as a lot, I have to take on the responsibility of getting rid of them. You're um, not a moving company. No, no. And uh, I can help them with, you know, you should give these books to the Westmont Library, the Atwater Library, McGill Book Fair. Renaissance, there's lots of places you can give books. You don't need to try and sell them as a lot. And uh, you, you can get some money if you want to sell off the good ones, and then the rest you can give away. Uh, but still, people, it uh, doesn't happen often as, as often as it used to, but they still still come up with that, you want to sell it as a lot. I don't imagine you hire that often, but uh, again... We uh, hire, well, uh, Scott, who has been there 27 years, <laughs> okay. and then there's Brendan, and then there's so Don quite a bit of turnover then. No, there's no turnover. <laughs> uh, but we do hire uh, one or two extra people for the student rush in okay. September and January. Right. And we're very lucky, because this year we have somebody, um, Nicola, who lives around the corner from us now, actually lives nearby, uh, who's a single mother, and um, she worked the rushes last year, and she's very keen on working the rush this year, so she's going to come in and do 50 hours first week of September, 50 hours second week, maybe 20 or 30 the third week. Uh, and she fills in any time, like if we're away and Brennan needs help, Nicola comes and helps out. So uh, she's, uh, she, she's a, a huge asset. And because she's done it before, she knows the way I want things done and where everything is, and we don't have to train somebody. We do have somebody extra like that. But we do have, I mean, I had somebody in this morning, I, I do have uh, three or four people a week uh, applying for jobs you know, and emailing me and, you know, and it, 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 almost embarrassing reading these CVs, uh, you know, the, the uh, um, talents and abilities that some of these people have. You know, they're in their early 20s and they've, they've got three languages and they've they've been all over the world and they've got huge work experience and um, we haven't done it for a while but we used to uh, before we'd hire because we we'd call have a call at the beginning of August for somebody to a couple of people to work in the store and we'd give them a test to see if they had any literary knowledge at all which was to match up uh, 50 authors and titles and people who graduated in English literature would do extraordinarily bad with this uh, moons of Jupiter uh, by Alice Munro, they would tell me it was H.G. Wells. Um, was it mostly uh, mostly Canadian literature you, you grilled no, them on, or anything? No, no, everything. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I had this one girl who would uh, who didn't do well on our test, and I said, uh, you know, I'd call her if we needed her, which means you know, not going to call. And. Um, <laughs> A couple of years, a couple of years went by. Maybe three years went by, and one morning I looked up, and this girl was, young woman was walking, determinedly towards the desk, not sort of walking into the store casually to browse. She was like on a mission. And it comes up the desk. She said, "Do you remember me?" And I said, "No." And she said, uh, "I took your test three years ago, and uh, I didn't get the job. I have just published my first novel with Penguin in London." And she turned on her heel and left. <laughs> <laughs> You've yeah. been waiting for three years to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> so we were put in our place. Yeah. Yeah. And then we had actually we hired somebody who was shelving, and because uh, there are subtleties to shelving that uh, you know not everybody gets, and she had the uh, Somerville book Ethical Canary, and she put it in with the bird identification books, <laughs> and so we had to let her go. Man, you're a tough, uh, tough boss. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Any final thoughts about your life in book selling? Um, well, you know, we're, we're um, what the main thing. I mean, I'm really, you know, I'm very happy that Brendan will hopefully take over the store, but I'm concerned that there are not, uh, and there doesn't seem to be this huge absence of young book dealers around. And every time we see anybody young that's interested in books, we, we try to encourage them. And I had one guy come in, came to have lunch with me last February and said he wanted to open a bookstore cafe. And I had several meetings with him because, I mean, my attitude is, well, he knew nothing. He really didn't know anything about books. And um, it was, you know, he had access to money to do this. And I said, this isn't going to work. You really need to do an apprenticeship. And um, I think I managed to talk him into that. There are a lack, or I'm hoping that in terms of the trade that we're at the bottom, because the uh, book dealers that are, are, are present are present. The book dealers are all older, older people. Yeah, more than half, more than half of the secondhand English secondhand bookstores in Montreal have closed. It's got to be way more than half now. Yeah, I mean yeah. Westcott, he's not around anymore, is he? Or he is just he? reopened. Oh, did he? Yes, on Saint Hubert. Yeah, San Hubert and Bobia. Oh, that's good. Yeah. He's, he goes through, uh, it seems like he closes down and then he's out of business and then he pops up. He popped up on Saint Laurent, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was on Saint Laurent. And, right. And he just closed there uh, last year and uh, he's opened his store again. He's, he's uh, resilient. Yeah. Um, I'm pleased and to he hear He goes that. back a long way in the book, book trade. He, he does. used to work for Russell's. Uh, he worked for Mr. George at Argo. And then he started his own store, and uh, he's a, he's really passionate. Yeah, yeah. I pulled some nice books out of there. Yeah. Anything more optimistic than that? Well, I, I mean, I, we're we're at presently uh, totally engaged on getting ready for the student rush, and we find that uh, uh, very exciting. I mean, the new students come in, and there's there's all this energy and and and, and the joy that's on the on, on the street. And, um, I find it a very exciting time of year. Well, here's to many, many more years like that. Good, thank you. I've been speaking with Adrian King Edwards, who is the proprietor of the Word Bookstore on Milton Street near McGill University in Montreal. Thanks again. Thank you.